<laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but you've also turned thirty years old. Happy birthday! Thanks. It's it's been the ride. Uh, I was glad to see my friends. Yeah. Um, see the mountains, the Rocky Mountains again. Rocky Mountains, and yeah, I don't know. Thirty. I think I have a good feeling. I don't know. How's 30 been? 30's been great. You're almost on the other side of 30. Rolling. It's rolling. It's good. It's good Good to you if you, if you care. Oh, good. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. It's nice. It's not bad. So two 30-year-olds making <laughs> a podcast, as you should be. We're coming at it with years of experience at this point. Okay. We're killing it. Kelly, we listened to a song. You listened to this on your, your journey in between a lot of other stuff, uh, mainly Slater Kinney. Uh, and if you haven't listened to our April Fool's episode, you can go do that. We're acknowledging it. Whoa, I thought you, uh, yeah. Well, right. Oh, we're not supposed to. That's right. We never do. Yeah. Uh, well, I know for a fact, Kelly, that you were listening to Bob Dylan. And you know why? Every single week, except for these couple of months where we're bi-weekly. This is getting rough. Yeah, it's getting rough. We listen to a Bob Dylan song at random, and we, we sit with it. We think about it. We make playlists about it. We we don't really talk about it except for maybe tangential things that we kind of want to cover and all this kind of stuff. And then at the end, end of the week, we get together and we talk about the song itself. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the number of years that the Grinch has had to put up with a Who's Christmas cheer and how the Grinch stole Christmas. Dang. And this week, we are listening to I Don't Believe You. How old is the Grinch? You act like you never have met. I can't understand She let go of my hand And left me here facing the wall I'd sure like to know Why she'd go But I can't get close to her at all Though we kissed through the wild Blazing that time She said she would never forget But now morning is clear it's like I ain't here She acts like we never met All right, Kelly, so we spent these last two weeks with I Don't Believe You, She Acts Like We Never Have Met, off of uh, 1964's Another Side of Bob Dylan, our very first Another Side of Bob Dylan. Quick initial thoughts. We listened to a lot of versions of this that we will get into real soon. But how did you fare with the original, the OG from 1964? It was like a sweet song. I mean, the lyrical content is obviously somebody's having some feelings, but uh, it, was, it was good. Like bobbing a guitar. Bobbing a guitar. Um, this particular, the other side of Bob Dylan version was hard for me to listen to at some points because the guitar is very chaotic because he's just like trying to, it's like he forgets he's playing for a little bit when he's singing sometimes. So he tries to catch up really fast towards the end of the verses. And I was like, ah, I don't know what's We happening. did that um, uh, um, with God on our side as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's he knows what the lyrics are. So he's fitting this structure that doesn't really fit in a box, which mm-hmm. I kind of appreciate. I, I like that it's not paint by numbers. Like, it's not that he walked in there and played the guitar and then he came in and sang it after. He's clearly in these versions we know that he's doing it all by himself but you can tell that he's doing it because he couldn't be able to sing over that with any sort of um you know it, it, what's the word i'm even looking for you wouldn't believe it if you if he overdubbed over oh yeah that chaotic guitar because it only makes sense when he can feel what he's going to play and sing yes, yeah. in the one so time. that was the only thing that was a little weird for me but yeah. otherwise i thought it so you don't really weird. like that just because it, like, there's something inside of me, that okay. internal like clock kind of rhythm thing. is like, ah, he's doing wrong. Okay, so I like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm very much into that. I try to let that go because I think it is fun. It's a little more interesting when you can't. Especially everything in the 60s. I think he becomes so formulaic that it's almost, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It. I miss it. We've had formulaic Bob so far. But you don't know that fully until you get the whole, the whole big picture. So, Kelly, what is the picture with this song? The song was recorded in five takes on June 9th, 1964, Studio A, New York City. Take five is what we get on another side of Bob Dylan, so the very last one, which is standard. He also recorded this again for real on May 1st, 1970, Studio B in New York City, with a little little character you might have heard of. His name is George Harrison. That's a beetle, isn't he? That's a beetle. And we're going to, we did actually listen to that. He was his second guitar? He was, I mean... Technically, right. but he was, I would say, lead guitar. Because Paul's bass guy. Paul's bass. Right, okay. Ringo is drums. Gotcha. Well, I knew Ringo John was, was guitar. Yeah. 
And they all did vocals, pretty much. Right? Well, I mean, other than Ringo. Well, Ringo throws down sometimes. Yeah. And Ringo did his own songs. So, yeah. they all did. Because they were great. What a collaborative effort. For what a, a great group. band. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the Beatles? Go on, cop a couple records. <laughs> so, this song was uh, written in Europe. This, um, Clinton Highland brings up a great point. This is one of the last batches of songs that you can actually, like, fully date um, with Bob Dylan sitting on a typewriter or sitting with a journal, like, writing these songs out in full. Um, so, like, these, a lot of these songs were written in Europe. And you can tell just because we have those journals. But after this, it starts to get more, you know, chaotic. You don't really know when he wrote it or when he thought of it and where it fits in a timeline. But you can at least place these ones semi-chronologically. Dylan's played the song 349 times total. Is that a criminal act or should he play it more or less? No, that's fine. That's a good number. a reasonable, non-offensive number of times. You know what's a reasonable number of times to listen to this song? Ten. (laughs) <laughs> so we listened to 10 different versions of this song i think this is the first time we've ever done something like this so it's before so we, many it's a lot so before we get into talking about the song itself and how we feel about it and all that kind of jazz we're gonna run down in chronological order the 10 songs that we listen to and we'll play some clips below so you can if you haven't listened to these bootlegs before you can at least get a kind of a feel for what we were listening to uh, throughout these two weeks so the very first time that he played this was on September 1st, 1964. However, the first live performance that we get is on Halloween, 1964. So we'll dive more. When we talk about the song, I think the can- the canonical song is going to be another side of Bob Dylan, even though it feels almost like the 66 version is canonical, at least for me. verse of it. <laughs> hey, hey, does anybody know the first verse of this song? Oh, I can't understand. I can't. <laughs> this is on the Bootleg Series Volume 6. And you can listen to that on our playlist. It's on Spotify. Highly recommended. It sounds fantastic. Bob is on drugs. This is Bob, you know, um, wearing my Bob Dylan mask um, album uh, live. Oh, right, right. So this was like a couple of weeks ago when we did With God on Our Side. Same recording, right? With Joan? Was it With God on Our Side? Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. A couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago. This one's uh, kind of interesting. It's kind of weird, though, because there's a whole part that they cut out of this bootleg so it's not actually like the live recording so if you get the all hollows eve bootleg you you get a little bit more you get a little bit of riffing so bob is sort of tuning up before and he says quote this is about the people they say they've never seen you i'm sure everybody has met somebody that swears they've never seen them hi i never saw him strums his guitar oh god here's a second verse of it strums does anybody know the first verse of the song from the crowd I can't understand. <laughs> oh, this is the same song. Same song, only started now. This is a true story right out of the newspapers again. Just the words have been changed around. It's like conversation, really. Oh, my God. Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> so I'll, I'll put that underneath, but obviously the laughing is important. My personal favorite from that show, however, is when he stops and he's like, More? Can't hear you. And someone cries, Mary had a little lamb. And he says, God, did I really record that? Mary Had a Little Lamb. Is that a protest song? <laughs> Drugs, my friends. Drugs. <sighs> did he go to try to play Mary Had a Little no, Lamb? Oh, no. See, that's too bad. No, he started playing uh, All I Really Want to Do. This baby be friends with you. Mm-hmm. Which I think is what he closed the entire set on, in fact. so. Well, that's that guy in the crowd, I guess. Oh, he's almost like the Freebird guy. Freebird. It's like Mary Had a Little Lamb right at the end. <laughs> It's amazing. So um, how do we feel about that live version? No Joan on this one? Very straightforward? Uh, It did give me a little more clue as to what the shrub pattern was supposed to be, so it made me feel a little bit better with that. Like, he still went off, but it was like, oh, I get what it's supposed to sound like, because I feel really confused at the end of the verses. Anyway, uh, way less harmonica, but it does show up, and that's That's nice. (laughs) That is all that's worth. I do like this one a little bit better, because it somehow feels more intimate. 
I guess just because it's a live version and everything you can hear that. Um, but otherwise, it's it's pretty much the same. I think that's the best part about the live Bob Dylan experiences, especially really great versions of it, is that the silence is almost its own component. Like you can feel the room there. It just feels more alive. Yeah. Even though they're totally silent, right. you wouldn't know. You can still feel the air between him and a person, and it's not him and a microphone. And the recording's still good enough that it doesn't take you out of it. No, no. So that's nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think this is like high class, great version. And if you can get the entire All Hallows Eve bootleg, I think it's better than the the bootleg that they put out. I don't know why they go against the grain and they're like, why don't we just just play the entire night? Just put it all down. It doesn't matter what's there or not there. Let them banter, put whatever's there. Because they let the Bob Dylan mass stuff stay, but why... Cut the rest of it. It doesn't really make any sense for me. Something that they didn't tamper with, which, again, to the benefit of everyone, is, for me, the default version of this song, which is on the Bootleg Series Volume 4, the quote-unquote Royal Albert Hall show, but the Free Trade Hall in Manchester, 1966, uh, May 17th. One of the best versions of this song. Yes, I fire the band is killing it uh and he opens this one as well if and this is on there but it's not on if you play it on spotify you don't get the banter so you have to listen to the song right before it uh tell me mama uh he says quote this is called i don't believe you it used to be like that but now it goes like this and then they launch into it which i think is so great put that at the beginning man yeah don't deprive i mean i guess deprive them because you should listen to the whole album as a whole because then you get all of that but man what a great like start to a song you know, to get that and then launch into it. So, so this is the show that they did the the Judas thing, right? This is the same show, yeah. So, this is at the beginning of their electric set. So they had a couple, you know, another six or seven songs to go. That's so funny. I don't believe you. <laughs> and then this happens, and they play. I don't believe you. Well, they played it before, so this yes. happened before, and then. But still, it's so fun. It's also just it's a common phrase. Have you never said I, I don't know, believe you? But to it's people just before? fun to think about. It is anyway. Fun to think about. So what do you think about that version, though? Amazing. This is uh, definitely my favorite one that's not just an acoustic set. Um, so you're more partial to the acoustic over there. Not necessarily. I think this one might be my favorite overall. Yeah. Uh, just because it's like a totally different song. Uh, yeah. Heavy harmonica. Just going nuts. Like, everybody is just going nuts. Organ is great. Uh, Bob's voice is exaggerated, but not in an, a way that's grating in it, which kind of happens with him sometimes. Uh, and the whole band feels like they're having like a fun... It's like the, a party track. The band it? is killing it. Everybody's just doing their own thing in the best possible way. Uh, that when Bob carries that, stretches out a lot of the words yeah. and a lot of the syllables to make it kind of a new. It's just it feels like a new different. Yes, the bones are the same, but it's like a different song completely. Well, we take it for granted that he changes the songs. Like a lot of people just a lot of bands go out and they play the same songs because they're still trying to build audiences. And that's just the way that they think that live shows need to be. Bob Dylan not only created these songs that were so different in the culture, but also when you went to see him live, there was a good chance you weren't going to see the same song, the same song yeah. that you heard before. You're going to hear it changed in a key, changed with chords. You're going to hear minor chords over major chords from before, and it's going to change the entire tone, the entire outlook on it. Like, can you imagine like being really into this song on another side and having this guy come out and just be like, I'm going to tear off your face with the same <laughs> song, but it's going to be so much better. You're welcome. Well, I wonder. So, like, on all the well, the two versions we listened to up to this point. So, if yeah. we're saying another side and then the bootleg one we just listened to or just talked about, um, they basically did the same lyrical pattern. Like, all the verses were there; okay. it was all in the same order. But starting with this, like, electric version, and then every other version we listened to subsequently, I believe uh, the second verse is supposed to be quote unquote the "It's all new to me," like some mystery, right? Right. But instead becomes, I didn't, it's the second to last verse, which is, uh, if I didn't have guessed, I'll gladly confess that. So that 
de facto becomes the new second verse of the song for every other recording, at least that I noticed. Yeah. So I wonder why. I don't know. I think that all all five or six of the verses are so well-structured and so well-contained in their own little worlds that you can almost play around with them. Oh, it doesn't will. matter at all. Except for the last one seems like kind of the kicker. Or that's the one you want to always end with, you know. Oh, yeah, because he's leaving. Yeah, well, leaving, and, but also, you know, let me tell you how you can also pretend that nobody has ever met. Yeah. Without that, it would be weird if you started with that. Yeah. Let me tell you how. I guess you could do that for the very first verse. You could. And then you go backwards. Yeah. But now we're talking like all the other great songs that we've done. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm not usually a fan of him making songs longer for no reason. But it was absolutely necessary that we added two minutes to the song so everybody could have a fun jam breakdown in the middle. True. And it's amazing. It is. And really sets the tone for what we're going to continue to listen to. So we're going to skip ahead to 1970 with George Harrison. understand she let go of my hand and left me here facing the wall I sure like to know why she would go but I can't get close to her at all so there's a lot of bootlegs that this one shows up on I think I have dog that talks fish that walks um, that that has, has the whole sessions this uh, was from the same sessions roughly as uh, our namesake sign on the window, the new morning sessions. And I love the two of them together. It's kind of fun. And they recorded a good 20 songs. So it's a lot of fun. We'll definitely be listening to that later on down the road. But what do you think about this? So this is an actual studio recording. It sounds great, um, but it's very different. It's weird. It wasn't my favorite just because like, it's neat to have just the guitars, but then also a bass. So mm. it's not quite like a full band and there's not really like an electric sound to it per se. Um, even though there's definitely electric guitar, obviously, but it feels more like a stripped version because it is. Right. But everyone's so like non-committal and inconsistent throughout the song. People just come and go. There's no real through line, which is not necessarily a bad thing because it keeps it interesting. Like the one criticism I guess you could have of this song, the other side of Bob Dylan version, is that it is repetitive to a point. It's the same verse. We're doing the same kind of music throughout the whole thing every verse. But I never found it. He's also grating. sort of telling a story yeah. too. But and there's like, a little laughter and a little, hey, he's got the, the weird like, little I don't find it repetitive. It could be, I feel like. Be. In somebody else's hands, it could be. Yeah. But it was Well, I think that also fine. comes out with the weird strumming patterns and stuff like that. It, it makes yeah, it not. It makes it a little more interesting. Yeah. So yeah. it's not just paint by numbers. But it's uh, it feels jammy. Like people are just hanging out. I think that's what it is. Which is a cool vibe. It, it and is. that's why the basement tapes, I'm interested to get into those. Cause yeah. I think, I think listening to this as a whole kind of would be, I think but you would dig it, yeah. No harmonica. So really... I mean, What's the point? But did you notice I had to turn the jack the volume way, way up at the very end? Yeah, they do say Don't stuff. give them any titles. Bob says, don't give it any titles. Don't give them any titles. Huh? Don't give them any titles. When the favor comes around. To this song. Yeah, at the very end, they stopped playing. And there was just like, I thought it was just silence. But then I heard very faintly somebody talking. So I like went back, cranked it way up. And Bob's talking to somebody. He says, don't give them any titles. And then something else they couldn't. He trails off. And the bass comes, do, 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 playing around. I was like, what the fuck just happened? Also, Bob, you do know that you've already given this one a title. You, you, already, you already did this song. This, this song is not new. You know that, right? <laughs> Are you okay, Bob? So I don't know what that was about. Yeah. That's still kind of fun. <laughs> Who knows what they were thinking of doing. Back in 1970. Let's move to 1975. Rolling Thunder Review. If you remember episode 26 of this podcast, you can go back and listen to our review of the Bootleg Series Volume 5. Uh, this was not on the Bootleg Series Volume 5, unfortunately, because not only is this uh, this this song uh, from the Rolling Thunder Review, it was also on Halloween of 1975 oh, in Plymouth, Rhode Island. Fantastic recording of it, by the way. If you guys uh, can get your hands on Plymouth Rock, the, the bootleg, Highly recommended. It sounds amazing. If I didn't have to guess, I'd gladly confess to anything I might have tried. If I was with her too long or done something wrong, wish she'd tell me what it is I run and hide. Though as good it sways as a guitar played, her mouth was watery and This version, just like with God on Our Side, that one was not as great. It didn't sound as good, but it was awesome. And this one, I think, 
has the same fire. It has that Rolling Thunder fire that I love. Absolutely. Um, this is my favorite of the acoustic style, if you will. Me too. And I, I mean, it's hard for me to pick between this one and the 66 one with the electric version. Which one's better? So I'm just going to say they're the same but different. They're on the same. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I, I like the way you're like, one's electric, one's acoustic. Yeah. You know what? They're both great. So you kind of have to judge it a little bit different. I think so. But I love the foot stomping. I love the pace because it's just like, let's get through. We're going. Down on our side. Yeah. Let's same get on Two harmonica solos and we'll be a minute and a half before. And this one too. Like this is not that long of a song. But my mm-hmm. God, they just hammer this one down. And there's harmonica. So. And is, is it just him? I can't remember. It's just him. Yeah, yeah. Him. Yep. him and harmonica. Man, you know I love a fan of that. And it's – I like the Rolling Thunder stuff so much because when you th- – if I'm thinking of Bob and a harmonica, I'm thinking of the really old shit from the early 60s. And I like this so much because it's mm-hmm. it's him 15 years later. Right. So his voice is different, but it's not getting to the point where I like the ugh, weird version that people don't like very much that – nasally super drawn out thing so he can still sing he still has chops but it's a little matured and you can really hear it and like mm. he knows the limits of his voice i think this is his best like that's what i've said from it's the beginning. so good he's also not like a renowned vocalist right like he's one of those people that knows that he's not the best singer in the world so he kind of built his music around it like track like we mentioned before those kind of people where they have a unique voice and i think this being where he can stand alone as a vocalist in these moments and i think that's really Special and, and interesting thing. So every time it happens, I'm like, oh, shit, he can sing. Like, Yeah. It's the same thing with the strumming patterns and stuff. I think mm-hmm. when you're like when you're really into music and stuff, that could really throw you off, like for you. But it's nice but when they both line up. Yeah. Like his guitar playing was also consistent in this version. It was easy to follow and his voice was great. And it was just like so good. Perfect. Bless. Bless. Quick and great. Yep. Just in and out. I wish that we got more of that on the Bootleg series. Because there's so many. There's just so many great songs that were not on, you know, included. And there was a lot of great ones on there. So go back and listen to that, episode 26. We then move on to the world tour, probably Bob's biggest tour, 1978. Uh, He did 114 shows that year across the world. Played in front of 2 million people. Uh, And at the end of this tour, of course, he went born again. And that would change, you know, the direction of his music um, pretty dramatically. So this, uh, we listened to November 10th. November 10th, 1978's show um, version of this, um, which took place in Seattle at the Heck Edmondson Pavilion, sure. which still exists. It's yeah. where the uh, the Washington, uh, the University of Washington plays their uh, basketball games, like the sports mm-hmm. teams play. Wildcats. Huskies. Damn it. So this was a big band, and you could tell listening to the music. You've got Dylan on vocal guitar, Billy Cross on lead guitar, Alan Pasqua on the keyboard, Stephen Souls on the rhythm backup vocals, the rhythm guitar, I'm sorry, in the backup vocals, Dave Mansfield on the sax, own thing, on the violin and mandolin, oh. Stephen Douglas on the horns, Jerry Sheaf on the bass, uh, Bobby Hall on percussion, Ian Wallace on drums, Helena Springs, Joanne, uh, Joanne Harris, and Carolyn Dennis, who is with Bob Dylan. So they have a kid together uh, as background vocals. Damn. So you got a background vocalist going so on here. So many people. A lot of people. Um, it doesn't feel chaotic, though. It feels like a lot is going on. But I was kind of torn. I really thought I wasn't going to like this. I don't like Budokan, which is the, um, the live version of the show in Japan that they put out. Um, they were going to do a TV special about it, too. I, I guess I, I don't I don't favor 78 as a period. I like Street Legal, but I don't – again, it's that drop-off. Like once you get to Street Legal in 78, I don't pick back up until Infidels. I let the Christian stuff just go by. And this isn't part of it. Obviously, like I just said, he becomes born again during this time. So And at the very end of the U.S. date of the tour, so at the end of 78. But I just – there's something about this I just didn't – I don't really care for. But I really love the drums and I really love – like the sax going on, which is very much a, um, a street legal type of thing. So there's a lot of street legal here. And even with the singing, the singing gets worse in the Christian stuff. But we do have some singing on street legal. And I think it's done tastefully for the most part. And it works well in the songs. 
and then it stops working well very quickly. Yeah, I was really thrown by the sax. Yeah. Is that a saxophone right now? It. What's happening? And bongos? There are bongos. Well, the drums and percussion, yeah. You got the oh, the my God. So I wasn't ready for that. Uh, yeah, the vocal. Man, he really tries to hold on to those notes, and he really can't. Uh, so during the, yeah, forget, he's all over the place, and it sounds like it's hurting him to do it. He sounds like he's in pain. It feels like we're getting more nihilistic. It's like, I he's I think he's caring less and less about the song as we were going on. Yeah. I just don't think he can care about, like, a Rolling Stone the way that he did in 1966. I just don't think that's humanly possible. I think you play because people want to hear it, and you're a showman. That's the point. But I think there is a there there is a moment. I guarantee you, if you were to listen to every version ever, back to back to back, there would be a moment where you're just like, "Oh wow, he really that's it. He hit it. Yeah, he's done with this song." And uh, I don't think this one is it by any means. This it, it's fine. It sounds okay, but I think he's already stopped caring. Honestly. Well, it definitely gave me like an offensive kind of adult contemporary Margaritaville feels. Right. Um, Which is weird. Like, it's Santana kind of thing. And I didn't hate the guitar coming in towards the end, like the steel tremolo little flare at the very end. Um, and the piano came out of nowhere. I was like, was there a piano the whole time? I don't know. There's so many things oh, happening. Yeah, there was, right? Yeah. But I didn't hear it until the really end because I was like, there's just so many things happening. But yeah, it's it's just gave me, it, and no shade on older generations, it just reminded me of something that my dad would listen to on our boat, like right after margaritaville or cheeseburger in paradise this would be the next thing on which the other versions of this didn't give me that <laughs> no, that no, vibe at all no. so that's why it was kind of jarring yeah that's fair i think that's certainly legit moving on to uh, a couple of years later in the muck and the mire if you will of the 1980s so this is actually uh just released in the last year 2017 at the end november of 2017 the bootleg series volume 13 trouble no more uh live 1981 earl's court London on the 27th of June. I'd sure like to know why she ain't go, but I can't get next to her at all. The weekends through the wild blazing that time, she said she would never forget. But morning is here, it's like I ain't here. She acts like we never had men. Real specific. I mean, I didn't know I wanted to, but yeah. So this uh, this featured Bob Dylan on guitar and vocals, uh, Fred Tackett on guitar, Steve Ripley on guitar, Willie Smith on keyboards, Tim Drummond on bass, Tim Kelter on drums, Clady King, Carolyn Dennis, Regina McRae, and Madeline Quebec on back vocals. For a second, I thought you were just going to keep saying guitar. On guitar? On guitar? On guitar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is yucky voice, Bob. This is like... Uh... This is that thing that people don't like Bob Dylan for kind of voice. This is disc seven of a collector's edition bootleg series kind of Bob Dylan. <laughs> That's what this is. I mean, I don't know what you're saying, but also I know what you're yeah. saying. Um, it, it gave me this very similar to the, the last one we were just talking about. Like nothing's been elevated. Whereas there's such a difference between the acoustic versions of that 66 version or, right. or even the acoustic version on another side of Bob Dylan and then the Rolling Thunder review. Like there's, there's a difference. There's an elevation. There's a mm-hmm. change. And this just felt like a change in the worst way. Like, a, what's the word for, oh, like, like a decomposition, oh, <laughs> like a rotting yeah. change from the one we, right before this. I think it was too. It, it's not a great listening experience. No. You don't remember it when you're, when it all said and done. So this is, uh, unfortunately, we're getting to that spot in the song. Now, I would say fret and be scared, run for run for the hills. But then it gets redeemed a little bit. Ten years later, Bob Dylan strodes into Toad's Place, plays 50 songs. This is the 43rd song of the night. He's still got that energy, baby. Hell yeah. Bob Dylan on guitar, G.E. Smith on guitar, Tony Garnier on bass, and Christopher Parker on drums. The second iteration of the never-ending tour band. Uh, some consider it the best iteration of the of the band, and they killed it.
I mean, it was fun to listen to. It was Absolutely. a fun version. It felt super 90s, like, without knowing the context of... Because I didn't know that until you, you told me a little bit earlier that it was recorded in the 90s because I didn't really have... I can't place any of this stuff. I don't yeah, have Yeah, we talked about it before, head. but, like, a long time ago, yeah. yeah. But this felt like... This could have been a Gin Blossom song, that guitar, before he started singing. Because when you hear him start singing, it's like, oh, that's Bob Dylan. Okay, now things feel different. But the guitar work itself, the music, is like, this is a 90s song. This is a 90s pop hit. Mm-hmm. Like, I need somebody to... Tomorrow we can drive around this town. Like it was, that was about to happen, and I was really excited. But then that didn't happen. But I did like the like it almost had a Scott swing feel. Some of the guitar licks. Uh, I mean, it was a little too a little long. Solo on there too. No yeah. harmonica. No harmonica. But uh, I did. I, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Toad's place will be one that we'll we'll dig into. Probably not all fifty at once, but I would stay for every fucking second. I Holy wonder shit. if he's like, we got to stop. I need to eat some fucking mozzarella sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Can totally. We get some jalapeno poppers on the stage. Right Thank here. You. <laughs> Please. Now. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to start putting those lyrics into the songs. I'm just going to be singing about jalapeno poppers exclusively. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That'd be the, amazing. The bar food rendition of your favorite Bob oh Dylan piece. <laughs> Finally, Kelly, we come to the end of our tour through Bob Dylan's life. Uh, sort of. Uh, we didn't get to... 2013, I think, was the last time we played this. But 2011, we uh, we got to listen to him at the Alcatraz. That's right. A bar called the Alcatraz in Italy, Milan, Italy. On June 22nd, 2011, Bob Dylan on vocals and keyboard, not on guitar. Stu Kimball on guitar. Charlie Sexton on guitar. Donnie Heron on violin, mandolin, steel guitar. Tony Garnier on bass. And George Russell on drums and percussion. It's kind of a tighter band. Um, not four people like before, so a couple more. But not 800 like the other one with the saxophone and stuff. Like 1978, yeah. So um, I think the first thing for both of us is that voice. Oh right my off God. the bat. I can't understand. She let go of my head. And left me here. They said the world. all the versions in succession before this i was minding my own business and he's like Argh! i mean it's got that god um, it's got that pain blood quality yeah i'm talking about like that <laughs> steady and sharp <laughs> i fucking love it i fucking love it i think it, for the first time in a long time the song had a fire it had a weird haunting old man vibe that i think when you're in the, your middle age this song doesn't I, I don't think this song resonates as much as when you're like in your 20s oh, yeah, until you're sure. a creepy old man <laughs> then it becomes better suddenly the song is about being a stalker and not to... or looking back on the path like it's just it's almost like dark in that way that you know i'm still brooding about this thing that happened 40 50 60 years ago yeah. and that just gives it like another oomph another weight because then i think as the listener you're like oh when i'm 60 or 70 years old i'm also maybe gonna think about this person you know, you're like, of course, I'll never think about them again. Yeah, that is... But then you're like, oh, maybe I will continue to listen. You know, but what if they do just continually hum in the back of your head forever? That's kind of scary. Yeah. And when you've got Scary Bob sort of telling you that that's about to happen, I think that makes that a powerful song and a great song and a much different song. Even though I don't think it's, I don't think it compares almost to any one of them musically because it's not the greatest recording. And I kind of like almost every other rendition, maybe uh, the bootleg series volume 13 aside i like every other one better but there's something about the vocal quality and kind of the way the song is that does resonate more now because that's 20 years from toad's place so we don't have we could have listened to stuff from 94 and Mm -hmm. 2001 but it's like well you just get to the last one man let's skip ahead so i think we did a service right there going from 90 to 2011 but well it's the the biggest difference it's a big difference yeah um i 
I mean, in, speaking of the, the instruments, I did think it was kind of fun how they came in separately. So it kind of just starts with the two guitars and then they, they come in one after another until we have the whole band in. But yeah, the, it's he has these spooky inflections on because he gets like, out of nowhere. <laughs> well, the thing that I probably liked the most was when he tried to reach for the one vocal. The the, yeah, when yeah. he uh, when he went for her mouth was watery and wet. Oh. I mean, I'll play it. There was good swing as a guitar played. Her mouth was watery and wet. Something has changed, but she ain't the same. She just acts like we never had. And it's weird because I like Bob Dylan's trying to sound sweet in a way, and I think that makes it even scarier because he really is trying to channel 1964. It doesn't sound great. (laughs) But also he has such a good spooky high voice, so it's kind of weird that he didn't – Ain't Talking is probably one of my favorite examples of where he can do that inflection on his voice that's really kind of out there, and you're like, ooh, that's really – Impressive, Bob. But maybe live it's a little bit harder. Maybe he works on that when he's in the studio because it's a very particular sound. But I think he was trying to go for that here, but it came off just too gargle. There's too much gargle. He probably, like, takes the gargle out when he's recording in a studio. He should really just make a track, like, a whole album of spooky tracks. Halloween theme, So fun. Stop with the Sinatras. Yeah. Bring on the Monster Mashes. Let's do it. Yeah. The Monster Mash. (laughs) <laughs> I'm into it. Now we're talking. I support it. Now we're fucking talking. All right, so we've been talking about the music now for a long time, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're loving the music. Uh, no reason to go into that a lot. Uh, I love how it starts. I love the... It's great. Great guitar work. Um, but we can talk about the lyrics. So we've kind of talked a little bit about it. Like this song, I think on the same level, one, two, and three, it's three things at once. It's a leaving song which Bob Dylan has done many of those. But it's also number two. Yeah, poor Bob. Poor Bob. Why is this happening to me? One Night Stand uh, turned into sort of the love of his life type of thing. Like, you are the sun and the stars. Um, Robert Shelton describes this, uh, one of his first biographers, as, quote, the intoxication of a night of love followed by a throbbing headache of his partner's emotional abandonment and detachment. I think that's a fair way to put it. And it's not that we haven't been there. That's the whole thing. Like, we can mock him as much as we want to, but we've all fucking been there. Unless you're some weird person who's never, ever tried to interact with another human being alive. Anybody that's ever put themselves out there has gone through this shit. Either they've done it themselves or they have been the victim of it. And I think that makes this song inherently universal. From old age Bob to young age Bob, I connect to these lyrics. I completely understand oh, yeah. everything that he's saying. And that's what brings number three uh, so deeply into the fold is that it's not only a poor Bob song, but it's also an admiration song. It's a song of somebody saying, damn, I got fucking played. I kind of I kind of respect that. Mm-hmm. I respect the game. Maybe that's something that I can do. And so I think that's why the tone in some ways – we didn't really dive into the lyrics like I said where – you you did a, a quick-in-your-head survey of how he was framing the songs, but I saw it getting faster and a lot more sort of just, I don't know, more straightforward. The, the laughingness, like the little, the playfulness of Another Side of Bob Dylan is gone in this song. It's a very straightforward song. You could say it's bitter. I think it was bittersweet with Bob Dylan in 64, and I think it's a bitter song now. I absolutely hate the lines. The mouth is watery and wet thing. Every time I'm just like, son of a bitch. Mouth is watery. And it's just so wet. gross. Like, if we were going to play around with the lyrics and drop some stuff, we could have dropped that. That would have been fine. Uh, just because it, it, like, skews me out. I don't know why. Uh, but, I mean, it's also people do talk about that. People write about that. I mean, think about if you're going to sit down and, like, describe, like, a sexual encounter with somebody. And you, uh, you oh. were, I'm just yeah, you get. You can get all puritanical all you want, but if you're going to... Hey, look, puritanical nothing. The line where he's like, <laughs> I'm glad I confess to anything I might have tried. And I was like, anal? <laughs> yes. So, like, I get it. It just no. The combination of I words. I, I hear you. It's like, even... thank God he didn't say moist. Uh, oh, just, yeah. Uh, That's fair. I understand yeah. what you're saying. But still, it's... Yeah, it gets really... I think it gets really intimate. And you're mm-hmm. like, whoa, okay. Uh, we talked before. We were thinking of talking about ghosting. We were thinking about talking about gaslighting. Mm-hmm. I think that the one thing probably um, that that even in this uh, song has some evidence for is something like uh, 
I mean, it's, it's not a song about memory loss, but I mean, it is what, you know, when he sings, uh, though we kiss through the wild blazing nighttime, which is a beautiful, I mean, oh my God, wild blazing nighttime. How great is that? Um, she said she would never forget, but now the morning is clear. It's like, I ain't there. She acts like we never have met. Um, though Ooh, the night ran yeah. swirling and whirling, I remember her whispering yet. So there's all this like talking about people forgetting just people. Um, I, you know, we've talked before about people who say things in the moment to make the moment the best moment in the world. And the next day having no recollection of what they had said, because in the moment it becomes like a fairy tale. It becomes this perfect thing where all the light is perfect and this is happening and we're seeing this music band and we're drinking this beer and whatever it is. And and you don't want to break out of that moment for any sort of real talk. You just say whatever because it feels right in the moment. I think when you read it, that's what I get is that this person either turned on Bob because Bob's a nutso person. And we don't get to hear the full story because we don't get to hear everything from Bob's side, which he's not going to be honest about because it's Bob's song singing his song, which is the whole point. I think that's what makes it so powerful. Or um, it is somebody like that who makes it instantly relatable because who hasn't been spurned? Who hasn't been tossed to the side? I was wondering, and I'm glad that you mentioned it before. I couldn't tell if this was a one night stand that he then fancied, like turned into this entire relationship almost, or if it was a relationship that started with this specific moment that he could remember. I think you could read it any way you want. Cause I think it's totally applies both those. ways. I mean, it's I... either you could take like one day I woke up and you weren't the same person you were a year ago, mm-hmm. or like we had this one night stand and just like, you said all these things to me. I thought this was going to be something. And now it's just it's nothing, nothing. Yeah. Or it's like Sarah, you know, you're, you're painting in your head the ideal of the perfect woman, quote unquote woman. And when she fulfills that for whatever reason, either because you want her to, or because she's just happened to saying the right thing, or because you guys are both, you know, probably drinking and hanging out and having a good time. And it just feels right that in the morning when the glow is gone, you still want it to exist. But of course it's not going to be like that because they're a nuanced person. They're not just your ideal fantasy. They're Mm -hmm. a real person. Um, yeah, and I think that Bob is I don't I don't know. I think you could psychoanalyze this however you want. Has he been struggling with that forever? Probably. Or it's a fifty first first date scenario and she has amnesia. I mean that would be fantastic. <laughs> um and maybe that's where they got it from. Um I think I think the one thing that struck me that I want to bring up is probably the idea of belief. Like belief and believing is something that's such an intrinsic thing with Bob Dylan. I, hadn't, I didn't really think that much about it until we started making fun of when we picked this song last week and we started doing the I don't believe you. And that's that's so ingrained. And then obviously this song is called I don't believe you. But even Bob Dylan doesn't – even on set lists, he's labeled this as she acts like we never have met. So the I don't believe you part is almost – I'm sure he regrets it. Maybe that's why he was like, don't call this anything. We're going to try to rename this song. <laughs> We're going to try to have people forget that I called this I Don't Believe You for no real reason. Nice. Uh, We can change this. George, we can change this. I'm now not talking like a cowboy with with my nose plugged anymore because I'm serious. This is serious business, George. But I just – I thought it was interesting because there's the idea of those who do believe and those who don't believe. So there's I Believe in You from 1979, the song I Believe in You. Guess who he believes in? Jesus Christ. Surprise. I'm beginning to believe what the scriptures tell in Nettie Moore. I still believe she was my twin in A Simple Twist of Fate, which Clinton Highland sees as sort of the rough run, uh, this song as the rough uh, draft, if you will, for a much more majestic song, which is A Simple Twist of Fate, which is on Blood on the Tracks. There's also There's Nothing Around Here that I believe in, except you. Yeah, you. Episode 18. I believe in the impossible. You know that I do. From Something's Burning, Baby. I do believe that I've had enough from Just Like the Tom Thumb Blues. It's hard to believe, but it's all good. And it's all good. Uh, I believe I'm strangling on the telephone wire. He believes it. And Long Distance Operator. And I believe I got the walking blues and walking down the line. Then he also talks about those who don't believe. They don't believe in mercy. Foot of pride. I couldn't believe after all these years. An idiot wind. Can't believe these things would ever fade from your mind and spirit on the water. She could hardly believe her eyes in John Brown. And then there's also him imploring your belief. 
did they believe, he asks in, in the garden. If you don't believe me, come and see, in Huck's tune. They say times are hard if you don't believe it. You can follow your nose, he asks in floater. And then maybe someday you'll believe me when I say that I wanted you, baby, in every kind of way. From Maybe Someday, episode 30. Oh, but then I think succinctly in a song, because of course it's this song called Need a Woman. Oh, man. Of course it would be that song. That would succinctly sort of sum up exactly what Bob Dylan's, I think, believing is all about. Well, if you believe in something long enough, you just naturally come to think it's true. And then later in that verse, well, believing is all right. Just don't let the wrong people know what it's all about. I think I don't believe you gets to a fundamental flaw of even Bob Dylan or the characters that Bob Dylan inhabits, which is there's not a lot of room for other people sometimes to breathe. When he lets people breathe, they become classic songs. And when he suffocates them out, they often don't. And I think Bob has a hard time sometimes with dealing with that. But he's also so prolific that, of course, you're going to write songs that are very central to who you are. And you're not always going to let those characters breathe. And he has a bad habit of choosing the ones that he thinks people want, which is all him. But I think uh, the brilliancy of his songwriting is that we get uh, to feel on both sides. I can understand her point of view, and I can understand his point of view. And for most people that live a, a nuanced life, they've certainly been on both. You've been on both, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure when you hear some of these lines, you're probably like, yeah, I get it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's rough. Or, the flip side, we had a great time. True. And I think you only get that when you get older. I'm leaving today. I'll be on my way. Of this I can't say very much. But if you want me to, I can be just like you. And pretend that we never have touched. asks me is it easy to forget I say it's easily done you just pick anyone and pretend that you never have met so Kelly any final thoughts on uh, I don't believe you she acts like we never have met no do you feel like you'd ever listen to the song again yeah I do um, especially the uh, the Rolling Thunder one or the 66. Well, we're going to get lots of Rolling Thunder stuff uh, with a lot of great songs that aren't going to be on the bootleg series, but we do have lots of bootlegs here in the bunker, and that will transfer over to the new recording space whenever we get it. We don't have a name for it yet, but once we find it, it's going to be great. Can it's going to have a name. The Alcove? The Alcove, nice. <laughs> it's better than the Ox. <laughs> the one time the Ox came out. So, Kelly, we were also people in the world over these two weeks. Um, you listened, like I said earlier, to um, Alternative R&B and Slater Kinney all through your drive. But there must have been something else that you were doing throughout this entire week. Uh, two albums, really quick, that came out last year that I kind of slept on. Um, R&B albums, so Sid from the internet came out with her solo album Finn last year, or Fiend last year, which is a lot more straightforward than the internet's uh, alternative kind of version of R&B, but it's really good. Insecurities is my favorite track off of that one. And it's really cool to hear a woman talking about sleeping with women like men have always done for a million years, like D'Angelo's been doing forever. So it's just a really nice, fun thing for me. And uh, SZA, Control, her shit came out last year and everybody knows. I've totally forgot because I heard her single from listening to Insecure. Um, the HBO show. Yes. For me, Ray. Um, the song Supermodel had come out last year and I, I was like, oh yeah, I'll have to watch out for when this album comes out and then completely missed it. But uh, Prom is great. Sounds like an Imogen Heap track. If you're Imogen Heap, what's up? And uh, Supermodel, or what I heard, sorry. And Doves in the Wind with Kendrick Lamar. Great, great album. Fantastic album. Alternative R&B. What a wonderful album. Bangin'. Bangin'. Love it. Mine's really quick. Uh, I'll just lay it out for you. N- n- with no equivocations at all, I recommend... Red City Radio, Sky Tigers, and I recommend the song Sky Tigers itself, the very last song. It's my favorite song of 2018 by far. And if you're interested in listening to more of this, join us on You Want to Ramble, our Patreon show. I know. And for this this whole time that we're sort of transitioning between the bunker and a new place, it's all going to be free. So you can get it all. So come listen to that. Uh, Go to our website, uh, Tumblr, Twitter, 
SoundCloud, all that kind of stuff. And you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to find and listen to these great tracks um, of us talking about more music. So if you want to hear Kelly talk more about um, the internet and about um, you know representation and culture and media, which we talk about um, for a little bit, not not crazy long links that we've done before, uh, come and join us. We definitely want to uh, talk to you. And if you want to hear me talk a little bit more about Sky Tigers, <laughs> come join us. We also are going to be talking about our playlist. So if you haven't listened to the playlist yet and you're about to re- head over to Patreon. Head over to our website and head over into our show notes and find this. Click on the another side of Bob Dylan, uh, little album cover. Head over into uh, the only song that has a link on that page because we've only done one so far. And then check out the playlist right there and subscribe to the playlist. Subscribe to us. Uh, you'll get a playlist every single week from our Spotify. And, uh, and then if you want to go to Patreon and listen to us, we're at patreon.com slash SOTWpod. That's patreon.com slash SOTWpod, Kelly. SOTWpod everywhere. Everywhere. In two weeks, we're going to go ahead and I would say let's go ahead and pick another song. But I got news for you. Oh, no. Is there it, another album? No, it's not. You know, every album. time you surprise me, I'm like, oh, there's another three-disc fucking album. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> or an eight-disker. Yeah. Oh, like series. No, there's not another album. In fact, what's going to happen, Kelly, is that... In lieu of us taking two weeks off and doing these bi-weekly podcasts until July, I think it would be it would it would be great if we just relaxed on a lazy river for the next <laughs> two and a half months, and we just let Bob Dylan just guide us through on our way to our next uh, our, our next endeavor out of the bunker, getting a new place, uh, getting a new uh, podcast space, and really bringing it when July comes. So I just want to kind of take it easy. I want everybody to just come flow with us. Just come take it easy. Take some mushrooms. Take some drugs. Whoa. Listen <laughs> listen to the podcast under the influence or just or just you got to get to like a zen place because we're going down the lazy river of life. And you Ella's <laughs> like psycho. What's a, oh, my God. Psychotropic drugs. There you go. Yeah. That's not even it. That's, That's not. What's the word I'm looking Psychedelic. for? Psychedelic. There we go. Psychedelics are a prerequisite from lazily flo- <laughs> lazily floating down a river and listening to Bob Dylan. Well, I think in two weeks from now you'll want to do that. So find Maybe. your drugs and come join us. Find your drugs. Find your drugs and come find us on the internet, on the same podcast app that you found us this time. We will be back in two weeks for the Lazy River Summer. Spring. Brought to you by... Sign on the window. Well, we're going, we're lazy rivering into summer. Oh, I see. Lazy river into summer. The lazy river transition. Brought to you by Sign on the Window. We are going to be starting with a song that doesn't make a lot of sense by the title of it, but if you've heard the song or know the folk tradition of it, we're going to be talking Shenandoah uh, off of the first time we've listened to Down in the Groove, 1988. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be the last time we listen to it, so we are still <laughs> doing this podcast, whether we like it or not. <laughs> So two weeks from now, we'll start the Lazy River into summer. And we've got a special surprise for everybody. It's big. Big news.